Thank you, Jonathan. And thank each and every one of you just for this opportunity to uh, say a few words here. And I just want to echo uh, Jonathan's sentiments of the journey that we've taken together in Christ, uh, the profound things that have happened through the ministerial here in Lloydminster, just where we sit around the table, the pastors from different backgrounds, knowing that we don't agree on all the details, and yet generously opening our hearts one to another. And it has been one of the most profound things I've experienced in my entire Christian walk. And, and to walk with Jonathan and have him fill me and have the opportunity to fill him has been a wondrous thing. And I think that's a picture of what the church should be at large, is, is some of what takes, took place in that setting. And so... I do feel called by God uh, to be here this morning, although I'm a little anxious about this and I'm not sure where it's all going, but I do feel called by God to be here to share with you some things that are on my heart uh, from Ephesians. And uh, I just want to begin, though, with kind of sharing with you kind of what brought me to this moment specifically. And it, it begins with uh, last Sunday. Um, and so... I just want to pause, though, and, and pray and just give this time specifically to God. Holy Father, I seek to give myself to you. And I ask that you would take uh, my offering and use it for your glory's sake. Father, you know that you have put lots of thoughts on my heart and in my mind today. And I just pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would bring them to your people in a way that they could hear them, in a way that, above all, where you would be glorified. So pour through me, Holy Father, your gift of preaching. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the most profound things uh, that enriches me in my walk is my early mornings. Uh, since I first became a Christian years and years ago, I determined that I would take the best of myself and give it to God. And for me, that's my mornings. That may not be for you, but for me, that's my mornings. I'm most on my game as soon as I wake up in the morning. And I decided a long, long time ago that I would give this part of my day to God, the first of what I have and not the last. You know, I think sometimes we falter on this and we end up giving God kind of our leftovers and not the best part of who we are. But I thank God that he put that on my heart early in my Christian walk to give the first part of my day to him. And so that first part of my day has been morphed and shaped over the years by a number of different things. And one of the most profound of them is a number of years ago, about 10 years ago, I started in the early mornings to begin to pray the Psalms. And this has profoundly challenged me and profoundly changed my life to begin to take the Psalms that we find in our scriptures in the center of our book. And they're in the center for a reason, folks. They belong in the center of the core of our beings. And I began to pray those Psalms. And I did that by committing them to memory. Now, uh, maybe that seems odd to you, or maybe that seems like an impossible task to you, but this is where the Psalms belong. They belong deep down in our hearts. And as I began to pray them, I began to experience God in profound, new, and wonderful ways. You know, uh, I don't really know what the text means where it says, um, 
The Spirit intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. I don't really understand all the implications of that. But that's what the Psalms do for me. They speak my heart to God. And we're used to praying like comfortable prayers or nice prayers or polite prayers. But the Psalms are this raw thing that we pour out to God. And it's so powerful to let them speak for us to God. You know, I just learned not too long ago that the Psalms are composed of five books. There's five books in the Psalms. I don't know if you knew that or not. It's brand new to me. But there's five books in the Psalms. And I understand that perhaps the reason for that is it's meant to echo the five books of Moses. And so the five books God speaks, and this is our response in return. And so I would just encourage you to take a journey through the Psalms in this way and learn to pray them. You know, in our Western arrogance, sometimes we think that the only authentic prayers are the ones that we engineer on the spot. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? And we have an, an, an avergence to, to praying somebody else's prayers. But yet, uh, Jesus didn't seem to have any problem with that at all. Now, I'm sure that Jesus prayed on the spot just whatever was on his heart over and over again. But when we look at the life of Jesus, some of the most profound things he ever prayed were right out of the Psalms. When Jesus was on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was David's prayer that Jesus was praying. And it wasn't a prayer that he, you know, he didn't pull out his Bible while he was on the cross and, and look at this and say, oh, here's some words I should pray. It was something he'd stashed in his heart that came out in the moment of life. And this is what scripture is designed for us to do. It's to bless us to pray, and the Psalms in particular have that function. So, long story short, I've learned to pray the Psalms over the years, and it's profoundly enriched me. So I've, I've given the first of my morning to God, because that's when I'm on my game, and I've given him my heart in the Psalms. And just a year ago, I decided I needed to get out of the box that I live in. And then I needed to step out under the open sky in the morning and enter into worship there with God. I mean, I was on my knees and in my room, in my home, and it's a great thing. But I decided I need to get out where the wind blows under the open sky and enter into worship there. And so about a year ago, I started. It's been a profound blessing. It's a metaphor to me, and maybe it can be a metaphor to you, and I think maybe it can be a metaphor for the church as a whole. That it symbolizes to me that, that we're comfortable in our walls. We have a ceiling that we're comfortable with, and the walls, and praise God for that. You know, I, I can control things in there. At least I can live under the illusion that I can control things in there. I have a thermostat on the wall. I can turn it up and down. <laughs> you know, we let the temperature vary a little bit in our home. Like, I like it about 10 degrees cooler when I sleep. So you turn it down, you turn it up. You know, it, it, at least in my house, it don't snow. It doesn't rain. That's what it's like in my house. I don't know what it's like in your house. But it's a realm where I feel like I'm in control. It was time for me to get out of my box. You know, one other thing you won't find in your house, you won't find rain or snow, most of our houses anyways. But it, the wind don't blow in my house either. You know, this time of the year, there's this kind of a, a, a dry and dusty 
man-made wind that kind of wafts up from the floor through our registers. And that's about as close as we get to wind in our house. But you get up under the, out under the open sky and you feel the wind, the breath of God. You know, God doesn't have morning breath. <laughs> it's this beautiful, fresh thing that God does to you morning after morning. And you step out. You know, it's no accident that in the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, Hebrew and Greek, the word for wind is the same word as for breath. It's the same word for spirit. And so I think these are metaphors, things to think about. I need to step outside of the box I live in, the box where I assume I have some control over life, and I need to step out into that world where God is, under the open sky, where the birds fly. You know, in my house, when I look up, this is what I see, just like this, stucco or something. Stand up on the open sky, it goes on forever. This is what it's like to live free in God, and I want that life. So I've been praying day after day. You know, I go out and walk every morning. I don't care if it's raining or not. I don't care if it's 40 below or 20 above. I don't care what the weather looks like. I'm going outside. I'm going out where God controls the thermostat, where God controls the weather. And maybe I just might get what it's like to live free and not in the box that I like to put myself in. And so just last Sunday, I was out walking. You know, I walk to the north first, a couple blocks, then I walk about six to the east, and south again, I come back and I walk west. It's been miserable all month long. (laughs) It's raining. And I noticed something different. As it's raining and as it's miserable and I'm walking, I'm noticing something different. I've been walking for a year, like I said. And typically when I round the last corner and head for home and I'm going west again, there's a breeze that hits me in the face. And every time I feel that breeze, I think of the Spirit of God. And I want to be, as Jesus spoke about with Nicodemus, you know, the wind blows where it wishes. You don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So too is he who is born of the Spirit. I want that. And I think of that when I feel the wind in my face. But when that weather was ugly, there was no wind there. It was at my back. I walked east and the wind was in my face. And I began to pray last Sunday, last Sunday morning, that God would intervene for the sake of the farmers. And he would turn the weather around. I got a little skin in this game because just this spring I went and helped my daughter-in-law, my daughter and my son-in-law put the crop in. And so I was thinking of their crop and all the thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars laying out there, the millions of of dollars laying out in our land out in the field. And I began to pray for the farmers, sincerely, with all all the gusto I could, could bring to it. And one of the things I prayed for specifically was as I thought of the the warmth of the sun that's needed, and a warm wind to blow. I prayed specifically that God would bring the west wind back. And I came with you folks last Sunday, and Jonathan was moved by the Spirit of God to pray for our farmers. It was an ugly day last Sunday. You and I got up on Monday morning, 
And I opened the door on my deck and I stepped out. I almost laughed. Because for the first time in what seemed like a month, I was standing under the canopy of the stars and the sky was clear. And I smiled. And I looked towards the west and the wind came and hit me in the face. And I spent that whole walk just kind of dancing around. Thank you, Lord. You know, sometimes God answers our prayers in real deliberate ways and gives us reason to rejoice. And sometimes we're privileged to, to experience things in this way. And these are the kinds of blessings I have received from you folks. And I pray that as I say a few words today, I might give something back to you. Uh, something back to you. I've been thinking a lot about the, the book of Ephesians. You know, I said I pray the Psalms. Sometimes I deviate from that. And I pray others' prayers in the scripture. And as of late, for the month of September, or I guess we're at the end of it now, for the month of September, I've chosen to pray Paul's first prayer in the book of Ephesians. You know, for this reason, <laughs> hearing of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the love that you have for all the saints, that prayer, I've been praying that day after day as I walk along. And, of course, that shapes who I am and it shapes the conversations. And it's through that praying that prayer, it's through the, the interaction with, with Scripture, interaction with Jonathan through our conversations, that I just felt that... You know, I might be standing up here one of these days soon, and soon enough, sure enough, Jonathan asked me just last week to say a few words. And so it's my ambition today to share some thoughts from Ephesians, but I'm going to go around kind of a back doorway. Um, you know, the interesting thing about Paul as he writes, uh, he, he don't write in kindergarten language. He doesn't write shallow stuff. If you're going with Paul, you're going into the deep end of the pool. And it's easy for us to imagine that, that, that we're having lots of fun in the shallow end, splashing around. You can get wet there. But if you look out into the deep waters and see people diving in and coming up with treasures, that's where Paul is and that's where he calls us to go. But it, it forces us to think. You know, sometimes we have an aversion to thinking as if somehow it's dangerous to think deeply. Paul would have none of that. He's the one who's talked about the renewing of your minds, Romans chapter 12, the renewing of your minds, and he urges us to give not only all of our hearts and not only all of our soul and not only all of our strength, but all of our minds to him. Yes. And when you jump in the water with Paul, you've got to use all your minds right. or you're going to miss half what he's leaving there. One of the things that came to mind as Jonathan was praying for the farmers last week was the psalm that I was praying in the month of May. And in the psalm, there's a line, I was on the farm, and I'm thinking about crops, and I, this psalm, I didn't really engineer it for that, but it was speaking to me right there. There's a line in the psalm that says, let grain abound throughout the land. On the tops of the hills may it sway. Let its fruit flourish like Lebanon. Let it thrive like the grass of the fields. And I'm thinking of that psalm in Jonathan's prayer, and I, and I couldn't remember where it was, and I'm flipping in my Bible. And then he prays for the farmers. And then the wind changes. And I've been thinking all month long, 
and these few lines from Ephesians and try to get my head around the game that, that, that Paul is, is speaking to in the letter to see the glory of it all. And those two pictures came together for me. This psalm that I've prayed while I put the crop in, that I'm thinking of again now that I'd like to see the crop come off, alongside these prayers of Paul and Ephesians, alongside the letter, the theme of Ephesians. And, and I believe these two things go together. Now this may seem a little odd to you, but in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he didn't start by quoting a bunch of texts, but you better believe he's interacting with a bunch of texts. And I have come to believe just this week, in fact, that the psalm that I prayed in May as the crop was going in is one of those psalms or one of those thoughts, at least the sentiments in that psalm, that Paul was thinking about as he sat down and penned out the letter to the Ephesians. So let me share it with you. This is the 72nd Psalm. And I want us to just to enter into the journey of Ephesians by looking at a psalm. Um, the 72nd Psalm. Just a little bit of background to this. Uh, this I understand to be a psalm that David prayed. Look at the last line in the psalm if you got it open. A psalm that David prayed for Solomon. And so the scene is that, uh, remember that place First uh, Chronicles 17 is one of the places it talks about this, where here's David, and, and he looks out on his kingdom, and he looks out on, on the buildings he's built and his palace, and he says, here I am in a palace of cedar, and where's the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord? In a tent. This isn't right. And he speaks to Nathan the prophet, and Nathan says, well, do whatever's on your mind. And then he gets an additional word in the night. And the word comes back to David that says, uh, listen, I'm in the house building business. And I'm going to build you a house. And it's going to last forever. And it's your son who will build my house. And this becomes the theme that holds the rest of the book of Chronicles, the first Chronicles together and enters into second Chronicles. This idea that God is going to bless David with his eternal kingdom through his son Solomon. And he says things to David that seem to stretch way beyond David. An eternal kingdom. Forever, he says. And this leads into the time when Solomon will build the temple and where he will bring the Ark of the Covenant in, the glory of the Lord will fill the place and Solomon will pray his glorious prayers remembering these words that were spoken to him, spoken about him through David. And I think this psalm is a psalm that David prayed then for his son Solomon. And I want you to hear the words. Imagine this. These are the words that King David, the great King David, prayed for his son Solomon. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. He will judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. The mountains, the mountains will bring prosperity to the people. The hills, the fruit of righteousness. 
He will defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. He will crush the oppressor. He will endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon, through all generations. In his, he will be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days, says David, the, in his days the righteous will flourish, prosperity will abound till the moon is no more. He will rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The desert tribes will bow before him and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of distant shores will bring tribute to him. The kings of Sheba and Seba will present him gifts. All kings will bow down to him and all nations will serve him for he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence for precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live may gold from Sheba be given to him may people ever pray for him and bless him all day long let grain abound throughout the land on the tops of the hills may it sway let its fruit flourish like Lebanon let it thrive like the grass of the field may his name endure forever may it continue as long as his son all nations will be blessed through him and they will call him blessed Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen, amen. and amen. And the psalm includes with this tagline, this concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. He prayed this prayer over Solomon. He, he, can you imagine over your son he said these words these astounding words but they're a reflection on what God had said to him yeah. that there would be this eternal kingdom yeah. and you can't read these words and you can't read Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 without recognizing there's some interaction between these two in particular the last lines of this psalm so once again let's look at the last lines Verse 17, may his name endure forever. May it continue as long as his son. All nations will be blessed through him and they will call him blessed. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel. That's how Paul starts his prayer, starts his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be or blessed be the name of the of the Lord. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled, be filled with his glory. This is language that Paul is resonating with as he writes his letter to the Ephesians. And he's trying to get the Ephesians to understand that the thing that they're invested in, the project they're involved with, is cosmic in scope. It's bigger than you think. It's huge. It's something that God has been orchestrating since the foundations of the world. And now in Christ, you are part of this. And it's not some one-off where, where Jesus showed up and said, Oh, let's forget about all that other nonsense and we're going to start something new. No. This is in continuity with the plan of God since the foundation of the earth. You cannot talk about being called without bringing up echoes of Abraham. And why was Abraham called? So that he would be a blessing. So that through Abraham, all nations of the earth would be blessed. This is the line that's picked up in this psalm again. This, this calling of Israel is embraced by the king of Israel, 
And ultimately, it's embraced in our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is where it's all heading. But Paul is trying to get us to think and try to embrace the glory of this picture. And throughout, throughout this introduction, he keeps saying, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. And he's trying to get us to understand just who he is, who God is, and who we are. Amen. And out of that place... Out of that place, with that foundation underneath us, is then when he goes on to speak about unity. And it's then when he goes on to, to raise the bar of moral standards. Paul always does this. He never just writes a letter and says, no, but you're smart enough about sexual immorality. End of the letter. He tells us who we are and why these things are inconsistent. He wants to build us up so that we can really get the picture. And so there's foundational pieces that are easy just to read past because Paul just goes on in one long letter or one long uh, sentence. Verses 3 to 14 is one sentence. And he's just, it's like he's out of breath. Like he just can't say enough about it. And he just keeps on praising God. But this is foundational stuff. And it's rooted in this Old Testament story of how God has been faithful to Israel all down through the ages. It's rooted in this mystery that somehow how is it going to be that all nations would be blessed through Israel? That's a mystery. And it goes back all the way to Abraham. You know, Paul is capable of saying with respect to Abraham and the message that he received that God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. And so this mystery that nobody seemed to get a hold of, that everybody missed when it came to Jesus, was was how it would be that all nations would be blessed through him, as we read in the psalm. How would it be that a son of David would house the blessings for the world? It's a mystery beyond our understanding, and nobody grasped it. And even after Jesus showed up, nobody grasped it. The evidence for that is that they stuck him on a tree. But God was doing his wondrous work, and he was bringing all these promises to completion in Jesus. And so when Jesus went to the cross, and when Jesus gave his life, and when he lived his glorious life, and when he was raised again, this is how the blessings of God through Abraham, through Israel, through these eternal promises to David were coming to completion for all of us. And guess what? We're in on that. We get to be a part of that. So don't forget who you are, says Paul. That's his point. Don't forget who you are. And it's out of this place that Paul begins to address the Gentiles in chapter 2. And says, remember that you formerly, who didn't know God, have now been brought in through Christ... It's not like the idea is not that that God decided, well, the law, that was a stupid idea. Let's just trash all that. All that Old Testament stuff, let's throw it out the window. We're starting with something new. Paul would never say that. It's all been brought to completion in Jesus. And he wants us, especially us Gentiles, to recognize that we have been brought into the family of God. And so when we think about unity in the church and where maybe this might meet us I think it's worth thinking of the metaphor I started with out beyond our four walls where we're comfortable where we can engineer things that please us 
You know what I'm talking about, folks. And God wants to give us a little kick. And put us out there somewhere where we are way over our heads, where we don't know what we're doing, and he will work there. You know, one way that you embrace the work of the Spirit of God in your life is you get out and stand on the edge somewhere and take a step. And God will meet you there. But if we're content to stay in the boxes we've engineered for ourselves, uh, you're not going to experience the wind of God there. It's out, it's out there under the open sky. And so when you think of unity in the church, and you think of, how, how is this ever going to happen? How could it possibly happen? I mean, Jonathan and I don't think all the same thoughts. We didn't go to the same school. We don't have the same doctrines. We don't preach the same way. How is this ever going to happen that we're really going to get together? Well, look what's going on. You know, how is it going to happen when those folks down the street and these folks down the street, we have our pet doctrines, they have their pet doctrines. There's too many differences. Maybe it's just better if some folks like that stuff, they can go over there, and some folks like this stuff, they can go over there, and let's be happy about that. And Paul would say, may it never be. May it never be. Nothing would be harder than to get the Gentile folks, and I don't know what your nationality is, but to get the Gentile folks to sit at the table with the Jewish folks. And if somebody would have suggested to Paul, you know, it'd just be easier, wouldn't it, if the Gentile folks had their church over there, and the Jewish folks had their church over there, and once in a while they could get together and shake hands in the town square or something, that would be nice. And Paul would have a fit. And he'd write a letter like Galatians and cut us to pieces and make us sit at the same table. There's power that the church needs in Lloyd Minster as we seek to come together that's rooted in a book like Ephesians. But it begins with dreaming big dreams. It begins with seeing things that we're not used to seeing. He begins with understanding the picture is way, way bigger than me and my little tribe. But it encompasses the the whole human family. This is what it's all about. One new humanity in Christ. And Paul is echoing this Old Testament language. It's temple language. It's, it's Davidic language. And he talks about us in the end of chapter 2 of coming together into the dwelling place of God and the Spirit. Yeah. And, and when, when we get into our world where I'm just comfortable in my little box, I'm just comfortable in my little box, I don't like the way those folks worship or the way they talk or the way the preacher preaches or doesn't preach or whatever. I'm just comfortable here. We're resisting all of that. And I don't know the answer to it. You said the last couple of weeks ago, and we're not all going to get in the same building every Sunday. And I don't know the answers to all that, but I want all the walls knocked down that God wants knocked down. And I don't have nothing to do with erecting walls that God didn't erect. So let's make all our walls come down. Let's step out together under the open sky where the Spirit of God blows and go where he leads us. You know, Paul says these wonderful things in Ephesians. We know some of them. You know, we sing about them exceedingly, abundantly, beyond. He talks about that all the time. It's, it's like he can't say it enough. It's too big, you know. Exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or imagine. And we think, oh, what's it going to be like if that would happen? And we think, oh, it's going to be more of the stuff I like. Yeah. 
Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe it'll be something you never thought of. You know when the Spirit moves in the book of Acts and you see what goes on there? The Spirit is doing things and waiting for everybody else to catch up, including the apostles. Right? right? The Spirit of God goes out into the world. And he's urging them, come on, let's go, let's go. And it's hard. Have you ever faced a challenge where you have to try to let go of something that you've clung on to very close to your heart? Imagine being Peter in the house of Simon the Tanner. And he's up on the rooftop, and here comes this big sheet down out of the sky, and it's filled with all sorts of unclean animals. Now, you don't have to read very long in the Old Testament to know what God says about eating unclean animals. And the voice says, arise, kill, and eat. You see what's going on there? You think Peter wasn't getting kicked out of this box he was in? And he's challenged to go. And he takes a message to the uncircumcised Gentiles. The Jews, I I think, thought that when that day comes, when all the nations will stream to Jerusalem, you know what it's going to look like? Everybody's going to show up at the word church. That's what it's going to look like. Right? (laughs) Everybody's going to show up and convert to Jews. That's what they thought. And God says, you know, surprise. And before Peter's done preaching, the Holy Spirit falls. And he says, who can forbid these people to be baptized into Christ? Who can forbid it? And so God is always going on ahead of us. But this ought to be a little warning to us. This ought to be a little warning to us. I mean, Paul talks about this mystery. It's been revealed. And so that means we should kind of know what it is, but most of the times we don't. And he wouldn't write if everybody just kind of got it on an instant download. He wouldn't have to write about it. But there's these mysteries that we're not sure we get, and we need to to chase after them. We need to seek to understand them, because God will do things that we're not going to plan. And if we're insistent on confining ourselves to our walls, we're not even going to hear it. And so praise God that he's knocking these walls down. And praise God that I'm in your pulpit. And you're in mine, I hope. Praise God that he's doing these things. And praise God that maybe we could just get back to the text for a change. That all the nations would be blessed. That's not going to happen when we're at each other's throats. It can't happen then. This is why we must be one. There's no greater testimony to the world. You know, Rome thought that their game was the one that ran the world. They were bringing all peoples together, every tribe and nation and tongue, under one head, Rome. They did it with the tip of a sword. It didn't work that well. And here goes Paul underneath the nose of Rome. And everywhere he goes, there's these communities of people that spring up. Slaves sitting next to free. Rich sitting next to poor. Jews sitting next to Greeks. 
and they're worshiping the one God and they are embracing the new humanity and they are a signpost for the gospel of God that goes out into the world and people flocked to them. There's nothing more glorious than to see people of different ethnic backgrounds, people of different socioeconomic backgrounds, people of different faith backgrounds coming together in Jesus Christ. This is the testimony that the gospel is at work and is present in our lives. And Paul, in every letter he writes, he's bumping up against this. And he will give no ground. He insists on this. Like I said, read Galatians. He insists on he gives no ground. You will not build walls where God has not built them. So, folks, are we ready to step out into the world? Am I ready? Well, no, but I want to step out anyways. <laughs> and I'm going to get out there and get uncomfortable. And keep getting uncomfortable. And when I get comfortable, I'm going to start wondering if maybe I need to take more steps. Because God is up to something in our world. And it isn't one little denomination, one little church that's orchestrating it. God is up to something far beyond that. Walls are coming down. Hearts are opening up. This is the work of the Spirit of God, but we must participate in it. And we will be tempted to say, oh, isn't it lovely now that we can have an Easter service with all the folks all over town? But then we can come back here and we can be at home in our own place. I don't know what God is going to do, but it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. And so I urge you, get out of the box. Out from underneath the world you can control. And step out under the open sky where the wind of God blows. And be led by the Spirit of God. Because of this, that big, big picture, Paul says, on account of this, because of this, and I hearing of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the love that you have for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, might give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, in order that you might know what is the hope of his calling. What is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, far above all rule and authority and power and lordship in every name, being named not only in this age but in the coming one. And he subjected all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all things in all things. That's us. That's us, folks. The fullness of him who fills all things in all things. But we must cooperate. We must embrace it. This message of God filling creation. It's all over Scripture. And we get to be a key part of it. The witness of the work of God in the world. The fullness of God. That's the 92nd Psalm. That's Ephesians. 
The fullness of him who fills all in all. Which means it don't fit in our box anymore. It's bigger than that. I guess it's time to shut up. Go on. I don't have anything else to say. Um, <laughs> I already gave you two sermons, didn't I? I urge you, church. You're in better hands out under the open sky. That's right. That's right. It's not safe in here like you think it is. It's safe out there. And the sooner I figure that out, the better. And the sooner you figure that out, the better. But it, it, you have to take those steps. You can't wait till it's safe. You can't wait till it's even comfortable. You know, I was uncomfortable to go to the ministerial meetings, but I didn't know what to expect there. You know, Jonathan's going to start pounding something down my throat, or maybe God will start, you know, I'll, I'll feel like I need to pound something down his throat. What's this going to be like? And I had to step out and say, hey, uh, I'm just going to go with what's on the agenda here. We're going to pray together. We're going to read scripture together. And thankfully, God was at work in each one of my brothers and sisters' hearts, and they all came with the same spirit. But that wasn't a place that was easy to step into, was it? We had to choose it. And somehow the walls will come down between us as the people of God when we make those kinds of choices. Because exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all we ask or imagine, there's not more of the same stuff we really like. He's going to kick us so far out of our comfort zone that we won't know where we are. Amen. And we're going to feel like Peter, thinking, what? Arise? Are you kidding me? And then off he goes. There's the key. Off he goes. And he's obedient. And God changes the world. We don't get all the information ahead of time. Jonathan's been talking about that. You don't get all the information ahead of time, do you? <laughs> You'll get it as you go. You get it as you go. Let's pray.